always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us, he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. One of take the second part of our message from last week. How we live really matters. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, how we live really matters. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now, on last week, we discussed the internal elements necessary to live a life committed to God and righteousness in this world. The life of which we speak is one that recognizes Christ as the center and the source of all righteousness. And the contents of this life that we mentioned on last week are, first of all, in order to to live that life internally, you must have a heart that is zealous for God, a heart that is pursuing God on every level, a heart that desires closeness and intimacy with the Heavenly Father. The second thing that we talked about on last week that, that, that really was an internal, internal matter in this life that, that really matters is that you also must have a heart that is courageous in the face of adversity and adversaries. Now, sometimes you'll have adversity, which are circumstances that happen, but there are times when you will face the absolute opposition from people who look just like you, those who are close to you, those who are around you. You will face opposition directly, and you must have a heart that is courageous. A heart that is courageous. Now, the last thing we talked about, about the heart, about that internal on last week, is that we must have a heart that honors Christ above all else. Nothing else matters but Christ. Or nothing else comes before our relationship and our our choosing of Christ to use our lives in any way he sees fit. We must honor Christ in our heart. You will never honor him in your walk if you do not first honor him in your heart. Amen. And I found it interesting that after sharing those internal elements necessary 
to live this life that really matters, a life that really makes a difference in this world. I found it, I found it ironic that, that this week, who was aware or knew with any surety besides God that we as believers would become partakers of the tragedy in South Carolina? We are partakers of this tragedy as Americans. But more than that, we are partakers with those slain and those left hurting by our common connection to Christ. The nine believers murdered in Emmanuel AME Church are forever connected to us as are all martyred believers so connected to us. From Stephen, in the book of Acts, the first martyr, killed because he dared to stand up for righteousness. Killed because he stood in the face of of an oppressive religious system and said, Jesus is Lord. From Stephen to those nine on this week who were killed, many have died to advance the cause of Christ. We have already seen the cause of Christ advanced through the dignity and grace Shown by the families of the victims. They forgave the killer of their loved ones in spite of their tremendous pain. Oh, that's a praiseworthy moment there. That's a praiseworthy moment. In spite of their hurt, they gave, they forgave. And we see in their forgiveness the cause of Christ advance in this world. And I've come to tell you today. That I feel their pain because they are my family. To be sure, they are not my family by virtue of human birth. But they are my family because each one of them was born again. Y'all ain't going to pray with me today. They... They are not my family because we commonly share the human genome. But they are my family because we share citizenship in the family of God. They are not my family in the sense of how we consider good friends as cousins or sisters or brothers. I didn't personally know any of the victims. I didn't know their names, their occupation, their likes or their dislikes. But they are my family because we share the common and unbreakable bond of being eternally connected by the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. They are my family and the family members of every born again, blood bought believer in Jesus Christ. Look at somebody and just tell them they're your family, too. And who would have thought that while worshiping 
in a church that a lost, sin-sick man would kill them as they welcomed him into the house of God. Who knew that every internal element of the heart we discussed here last week would be tried and challenged in such a way that our heads became fountains of tears as we mourn with those who mourn for our lost family. Yet in the midst of our tears, there is a hope that does not disappoint. In the midst of our tears, there is a reminder in the word of God. One upon which we can trust as true now as when it was first delivered from the heart and mind of God. It is a word that reminds us even as we weep now over the pains of this world that trouble won't last always. It is a word that says boldly and loudly that weeping may endure for a night. Oh, I wish I had a witness here. Somebody ain't never been through anything. You can't shout right here. But, but, but if you ever gone through something, you know what I'm talking about. When you say weeping may endure for a night, but thank God that joy comes in the morning. My brothers and sisters, in many ways, it is nighttime in our world right now. And I want to tell you the reason that darkness covers our land is not simply because of the maladies we see and experience every day. Things like racism and abortion and immorality and perversions and all of those sorts of things. Those aren't, it's not simply the fact that we see these things that describe a nighttime in our world. It is nighttime in our world for the same reason it has always been nighttime in this world. It is nighttime because of sin. Truly, it is sin that brings these dark manifestations before us. It is sin that drives the actions that we see. It is sin that's behind all of the mess, all of the corruption, all of the evil that we must deal with in this world. Make no mistake, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against human beings. But our struggle, hallelujah, our struggle is against the forces of spiritual wickedness, darkness, and those things that are in high places. Do I have a witness there? I have news for you today. Nighttime in America and our world is not a new condition. And it is not a condition that catches our God off his guard. God is aware of the evil in this world. 
God is aware of the nighttime condition that's brought on by the sinful nature of the human heart. God is aware. And so evil and nighttime is not new. But, but, but let, me, let me take you someplace you might not want to go and, 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 and you might be a little upset with me after this, but, but put on your seatbelts because I want you to get this. I want you to get this. While nighttime is not new, what is a relatively new and disheartening reality is watching Christians and those claiming Christ as Savior in the midst of this nighttime, watching Christians turn to anger, hate, and vitriol instead of love, faith, and hope in seasons such as these. We didn't used to be like that. We didn't used to spew hate. We didn't used to let our anger get the best of us. How did the first church handle the murder of Stephen by the governing authorities? I believe they handled it just like Stephen handled it. With his dying breath, he cried out to the Father and said, Lord, do not lay this sin. Oh, I wish I had a witness here to their charge. Stephen even forgave as he was dying. And I know that the enemy is tempting you right now to say that you're tired of forgiving. That it doesn't seem like anything is happening. That the more you forgive, the worse things get. I know that the enemy wants you to think that, that it doesn't make any sense to hang on to a heart of love and forgiveness. Because the more you love, the more people hate. But remember, it's nighttime now and we have shed many tears in this present darkness. But I came here today to tell you, saints, in spite of all of that, be encouraged. Because just as the first Adam ushered in sin and the resulting darkness, there is a second Adam. His name is Jesus the Christ, who has come to bring light into the nighttime. He laid his claim as a light and a light giver. When he said these words in John chapter 8 and verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Watch this now. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You, oh, come on here, somebody. See, you got to get this thing in your heart to really understand. That means that while darkness is all around you, you're walking around in the light. As a believer, you're walking in light even while darkness fills the earth. 
Then in John 9 and 5, he said this. He says, as long as I am in the world. Get that, get that. As long as I am in the world. I am the light of the world. Now, I know some of us think that he was only talking about the time until he went back to the Father. But I remember him saying, behold, I'm going to send you another comforter. One just like me that's going to live inside of you. And when I'm in you, you are the light of the world. He gave us his light. Those of us who would believe in him. Make no mistake, my brothers and sisters. We who are entrusted with this light have the calling and the responsibility to bear witness of this light with our very lives, if need be. In the midst of pain and hatred from a world gone mad, we must bear the light. We must hold up the light, even as darkness encroaches closer every day. The New Jersey Mass Choir said it like this. They said, the world is so full of darkness. We have to be a light. Just like A flame burning bright, lighting up the dark night. Then when they got to the refrain, they they said, hold up the light. All ye heaven-bound soldiers, hold up the light. Let your light shine round the world. Hold up the light, saints. Hold it up when your arms Become weary with the weight of this world. Hold up the light when persecution for believing and living right tries to drag you back into darkness. Hold up the light when they defame, those evil ones defame Defame your personhood, trying to remove your value as an image bearer of the almighty God. Hold up the light in the face of hate. Hate needs darkness to survive. And I say if we hold up the light, if we hold up the light, darkness will have to flee. So then, so then, so then our our living for Christ cannot be merely an internal commitment or just a pray about it attitude. Y'all know we're famous for that, right? We're famous for it. We're famous for, as uh, soon as somebody's going through something, the, we, we really don't want to be bothered with them. So we just say, just pray about it. Now, I don't want to discourage you in encouraging prayer in the lives of people. But I don't think for a moment that we should use that encouragement as a reason 
to fail to hold up the light in this world. We must do better. On the contrary, my brothers and sisters, we can't just have this internal, internal ideal, these internal things on the, in our hearts. But, but if our heart is changed, we must recognize that a truly changed heart produces a truly changed life. A truly changed heart is, that produces a life that is not marred and filled with thoughts of self. A truly changed heart produces a life that is lived for the glory of our Savior. If, you know, the old saints, you say it like this. They say, I know I've been changed because the angels in heaven done signed my name. See, if you really know you've been changed, then then it's not just your heart that's changing, but everything in your life begins to change. Everything is different. Somebody said this, I looked at my hands and my hands look new. I looked at my feet and they did too. I know I've been changed. I know that I know I've been changed. A changed heart transforms the manner by which we live, thereby adding true meaning to our lives so that our lives and the way we live really does matter. Peter picks up this theme in our text. He picks up this theme, the manner by which we live in response to being exiles in this world. He shares with us indirectly and through this text that your life really does matter. Even though you are not a citizen of this world, your life here really does matter. Now there are Three elements here in our text that move us from this internal change to external action. So we go from what we learned about the inside and the heart to now how we live before the world. Now, the first element that that teaches us this is this. Have a good conscience that the world can see. Have a good conscience that the world can see. He says in verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now, 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 now we are taught that the conscience of a person is on the inside. So, Pastor, what are you talking about? You just said that, that this thing ain't internal anymore. How, how can somebody see my conscience? So, so how can the world see whether we have a good conscience? Or what is the ability of conscience is really this. The ability to discern what is good and bad and choosing the good. That's a good conscience. So, how can the world see 
our conscience. My brothers and sisters, it is precisely the manner by which we live that indicates the state of our conscience. If you are living the same way you live before Christ, then you have to challenge yourself as to what you really believed about him. I knew it wasn't going to be no amens on that one. I'm, I'm, see, we get quiet on that. Some of us have some old habits we ain't quite broke yet. You know, you, know, you, you, you get to testifying service, you say, I thank God that I don't cuss as much as I used to. <laughs> See, see, see that that change. It's the way you live that determines the state or condition of your conscience. Uh, that that is the ability to discern good from bad. And in God's eyes, a good conscience is choosing that which is good. So, our conscience is tested daily by living in this world. To truly honor Christ, we must choose right over wrong, good over evil, and live righteously before the world. Now, the events of this past week underscore underscore that perhaps at no time it is more difficult for Christians to choose righteousness than when confronted with so great an evil that we feel the effects of that evil in our bodies. Who can make sense of an evil so great? Well, I want to tell you that this isn't the first time that evil like this was perpetrated in the church. In Birmingham, Four little girls in a Sunday school class were the victims and blown up by a bomb made by somebody filled with hate. But watch this now. Because some of us are searching for our response. Watch this. Even in the face of this evil, those who were directly affected, vowed with everything in them to march on in righteousness and love until the victory was won. They didn't fold up their tents and go home. They didn't scream out obscenities and and vitriol towards their oppressors, but they marched with their heads high, singing, we shall overcome this mess too. So, our conscience, our conscience has to be good so the world can see the behavior that a good conscience produces. The second element that Peter drops in our spirit here in this text is this. Not only must you 
have a good conscience, but you must behave so that we shame evil. This was a tough one. In Peter's world, look, look at what he says. He says, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. The reason you choose good in your conscience and live righteously so that those who revile you. There is no greater reviling than to kill someone in a church. But those who revile you may be put to shame. They revile your good behavior. In Peter's world, Christians were confronted daily as well with evil on every hand. They lived under oppression and hate simply because they chose Christ. Their family members who were Jewish put them down, kicked them out, cut them off because they chose Christ. You see, choosing Christ, my brothers and sisters, not sometimes, but always puts us at odds with the world. Do I have a witness there? Come on, give God praise if you believe that. I... <clears throat> Choosing Christ always puts us at odds with the world. Every time you make a decision for Christ, the world is at odds with you. The world systems, the, the people who are still here living under the influence of of evil are always going to be at odds with you. See, evil doesn't like good at all. Now I know you say, well, I'm not good. Yeah, but you got good in you if you got the Spirit of Christ in you. Amen. And evil recognizes the good that's in you. Oh, you don't believe me? Remember when Jesus came upon the, the man who was possessed by the demons and, and, and he cast out those demons and, and, and he said, well, send us into that, that herd of swine. First thing those demons said when they saw Jesus, what do we have to do with you? Leave us alone. <laughs> it's, it's not our time yet. What do you, what, what? They saw him for who he is. The epitome and the embodiment of all that is good and evil has to flee in the face of good. See, let me tell you how deep this gets. The news media cannot understand the forgiveness of the families of the nine murder victims. They ask, how can they forgive so soon? 
Now, I'm not going to kid you. I thought about if that had been my family. My blood family. That had been my mother. I was so proud of that young man from the college baseball team that, that stood up and said, I'm going to show love. I'm going to forgive because that's what my mama taught me about Jesus. There, there is a great lesson They don't understand it. They don't understand that when you choose Christ, forgiveness comes natural. Listen, if you hold an unforgiveness in your heart on that issue right there, you've chosen self over Christ. That's going to hit home. That's going to catch up with you when you get home. You'll be sitting at the kitchen tomorrow. Oh, wait a minute. he was talking about me. I didn't. That, that thing that you holding on to, is, is, is it means that you have elevated self. And you know how we are. Can I stay here just a minute? You, you know how we are. We get such unforgiveness in our heart that we can't even... It shows up on our face when we see that person that we're not forgiving. We, 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 we like, here they come. I don't know who she thinks she is. We can't stand to see joy in the faces of those we hold unforgiveness towards. God could literally be saving their lives. And we'll question him. Oh, you know we will. I don't know if they really save. I'm going to wait a while. (laughs) Who do we think we are? Honey, if somebody was to look at your life. Oh, I wish I had somebody tell the truth in here today. I'm talking about some of the thoughts that you think. Maybe they never get to actions, but but you thought about, oh, I wish I had somebody here. And we get so bold with it. Don't you make me. (laughs) See, see this, this thing means that you have not chosen Christ over self. And, 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 and. I don't know where we get this idea that being exiles in this world and citizens of a of another of another world we're citizens of another world but we're here and we have tribulation in this world. I don't know where we get the idea that we can choose self over Christ. The hardship we face. We must choose righteousness. So the world that reviles our good behavior is put to shame. See, this this is how I know God doesn't leave us. What he says is, is that if you live righteously and good and choose Christ over self and selfish interest, and you live that way even when you are persecuted, hurt, harmed, or destroyed, or cast down, even in the midst of that, there 
will be a shame that will fall on those that revile you. Y'all remember shame? I'm not talking about, you know, low down dirty shame. I'm talking about the concept of shame. And the reason I ask you if you remember it, because it is a missing element in our world today. What, what is shameful in the world today? Huh? If, if you can go outside your house wrapped up in a bed sheet and that's all, something wrong with you. There's no shame at all. If you go outside, listen, let me tell you something right now. I don't care who you tell, leggings are not pants. I know some of y'all looking at me like, I don't care what you say, man. Ain't nobody trying to know all that about you. Leave something to the imagination. You walking around in some, you know what leggings are? Dark colored pantyhose. That's what they are. You walking around and just, that's all you got on, thinking you look good. I'm like, wait, hold on. Then if some man say something to you, you got nerve to get an attitude. I don't know why you talking to me like that. Like, I, like I'm some kind, of, some kind of prostitute. Let me tell you something. You may not be one, but you're wearing a uniform. What time, what time my flight leave, baby? I got to go right now. I, I, you, you better get that in your mind right now. See, see, you, you got to understand, we must restore shame, shame to our world. There, shame has a purpose. Some of us in here know that shame changed our lives. We came to Christ because we were ashamed. Of how we behave, how we acted, and we needed some way to change our lives. And the gospel opened the door to remove our shame. So, 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 live so that you put. Shame. You put evil to shame. Live your life so that your behavior creates shame in those who are evil. Because that same shame that's created there was used to save you. And when you do that, you open the door for the gospel in their lives. Now I'm done when I tell you this. The last thing. We must be the living sacrifice that draws others to Christ. Look at verse 17. Peter's starting to, he's starting to feel it right now. I, I just like to imagine that in my mind, that as he was, as he was writing this under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he, he started feeling this thing. So he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good. 
if that should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. He says, for Christ also suffered. Oh, come on here, somebody. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And if my Jesus can suffer for unrighteousness, who do I think I am that I can't suffer for some unrighteousness? He said he suffered for the unrighteous that he might bring. Look at the purpose here. That he might bring, that he might see your suffering in an unrighteous situation. Stop talking about it's unfair. Oh man, how many times I hear that word from believers. We're talking about it's unfair. Let me help you understand something. Life is not fair. So I'm I'm, going to help you in that right now. Life is not fair, but God is fair. God is so fair that he knew that the only way to get us back to him, because the wages of sin are death, was to send this gift of God named Jesus Christ to die for our sins. That's the only way he could get us back. And those that reject him will learn just how fair God is. The soul that sins shall die. But those who believe, hallelujah, shall know the grace of God on a great level. We shall see his face because we believe. He says, he says here that he suffered for, for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. How do we, having been recipients of that right there, find the audacity to not want to suffer so that someone else can be saved? We're all on scholarship. You got recruited by the blood of Jesus. And we're all recipients of this scholarship of grace. How audacious is it to say, Lord, I don't want to suffer because because I'm I'm tired. I don't want to suffer anymore. Let me tell you something right now. Your suffering for righteousness. Let me let's get that straight. See, some of that suffering you're doing that you're tired of has nothing to do with righteousness. <laughs> I, 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 I listen, listen, listen. I hate. I, listen, I, I want our women to know. So y'all say I, 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 I don't pick on you, but I want you to know. I want you to know that if some dude doesn't know the Lord. He ought not get to know you. Y'all say, when we going to have better men, Pastor? When you learn the word no. Stop compromising. Just because you don't want to be by yourself. Honey, learn to love yourself. 
Take yourself to the movies. Walk up to the ticket counter and boldly say, give me one. And when they look at you first, say, that's right, I said one. I'm talking about the suffering you do for righteousness now. That suffering brings other people to Christ. He says he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And that promise is to us as well. Now, I'm going to close when I tell you this. In the midst of our confusion toward the actions of those in this world, who have chosen hate over love in the midst of trying to understand why in the midst of trying to understand the dynamics of a sinful and hateful heart. My mind is drawn to the words of this old hymn. It says we are often tossed and driven. On the restless sea of time, somber skies and howling tempests oft succeed the bright sunshine. In the land of perfect day, when the mists have rolled away, we'll understand it better by and by. Verse 2 says, we are often destitute of the things that life demands. Want of food and want of shelter, thirsty hills and barren lands. We are trusting in the Lord and according to his word, we will understand it better. By and by. Trials dark on every hand. And we cannot understand all the ways that God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But he guides us with his eye. And we will, I wish I had just one witness here. We will follow until we die. For we'll understand it better by and by. Temptations, hidden snares often take us unawares and our hearts are made to bleed for many a thoughtless word or deed and we wonder I don't know if you've ever been there but we wonder why the test when we try to do our best we'll understand it better by and by The chorus says this, by and by. When the morning comes and all the saints of God have gathered home, we will tell the story of how we overcome. For we'll understand it better by and by. If you don't know right now, if you can't understand, I came to tell you today, don't spend your time trying to figure out evil. Spend your time doing good. Spend your time living so those 
who are evil will be put to shame. Galatians says this, for you are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. And you will not be rejected if you do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Evil is designed for you to lose heart. The enemy wants to distract you with that which is harmful, that which hurts you, that which destroys you. So I encourage you today, remember that you are a vessel of the gospel. And if God so chooses that whatever instance he places you in, he does so, so that others can know Christ. Come on, give the Lord some praise today.